0: In this podcast, I'm going to talk about classical conditioning and some historical examples as well as how it can be applied today. Well, classical conditioning was popularized by Ivan Pavlov, who was a Russian physiologist, and you may have heard of Pavlov's dogs or the Pavlovian response, maybe spoken about in our current popular culture. So let's talk about where this originated from. He was actually a physiologist studying the digestive system of dogs, and specifically salivation. And so he wanted to measure how much a dog would drool in, I'm assuming, milliliters in a vial that's attached to the dog surgically. And he would use meat powder or serve food. Uh, And so as soon as the dog touches or tastes the food or the meat powder, they would start to salivate. Well, these experiments were going pretty well until he realized that the dogs were anticipating the opening of the door or a cabinet, the, the, the sign of an empty bowl even before the food is put in. The vials would be starting to fill up with saliva. And so although those of you dog and pet owners know that this is sort of common sense, is that, yeah, our pets can anticipate our arrival, they anticipate being fed. But for Pavlov, this was ruining his physiology experiments. So he started to do his own experiments about, well, how are these dogs training themselves to do this? And this is happening naturally. He's not really, uh, this drooling with anticipation was just happening over the course of time. So he wanted to systematically vary The stimuli and see what would happen so let me back up a little bit in case you're not familiar the word stimuli or stimulus is singular stimuli is plural it just means anything in our environment that can trigger our senses so we have visual stimuli auditory stimuli and so forth okay so he tested a bunch of different things and the one that you may recall or have heard of is the bell but he used many different things like a musical metronome that ticks back and forth or even a su- turning on and off a light bulb right and so this is the sequence of events of how he would train uh, the laboratory dogs okay so first of all he knew that the dogs always responded to food okay so here are some technical labels to help you understand Pavlovian theory or let's call it classical conditioning okay so anything any stimuli or any stimulus, let me use singular, that triggers an automatic response, like a reflex, like salivation or fear. Okay, that stimulus is called an unconditioned stimulus. Unconditioned is one word. Conditioned means learned, so unconditioned means not learned. So this is something that presented to a human or an animal, a person will have a reflex to without being taught. So that reflex is called the unconditioned response, or UCR. So we have UCS, which automatically triggers a UCR, unconditioned response. So let's label that food, and UCR would be salivation. Okay, so this just happens without any conscious learning. So, the fact that the dog would drool to something else, well, we have to introduce that something else. That something else is called a neutral stimulus something that didn't bother the dog before so he would turn on and off the light bulb ring door uh, you know ring a bell uh, or turn on and off a light bulb and the dogs would not be drooling no salivation so those stimuli would be considered neutral so the process of conditioning happens this way let's stick with the bell as an example he would ring the bell and then immediately follow that with food so the neutral stimulus is introduced immediately followed by the unconditioned stimulus of food and of course at the sight of food and and of eating the dog is going to have an unconditioned response of salivating now the next day if you just rang the bell by itself is that is anything going to happen not necessarily perhaps the conditioning did not take place so this would have to be repeated over several days maybe okay then after a while just ringing the bell without introducing food just the neutral stimulus by itself all of a sudden produces a reaction the same reaction as before which is the reflex of salivation so now this neutral stimulus of a bell is no longer neutral right it has meaning now to the dog so now it's called a conditioned stimulus remember we started with unconditioned and neutral now we have conditioned so the neutral stimulus becomes the conditioned stimulus. It has meaning to this dog. The conditioned stimulus, ringing of the bell, now, even without the presence of food, produces a conditioned response, which is the same as the unconditioned response. Okay, So this just takes a little visualization on a student's part to make sense. And it's actually quite common sense if you think about how this process happens. But Pavlov broke it down into five different pieces and then you can start training dogs to learn something okay um, now you could also possibly train someone to have a negative reaction so instead of salivating maybe they'll respond with fear and in fact this is how we develop phobias is by association right so we associate fear with some sort of stimulus that caused the fear at some point point. Okay? and I will use an example from my childhood uh, for a long time, I was afraid to swim in uh, any kind of open water, okay? Because as a child, when I was very young, I was playing near a creek in our backyard in Connecticut. Yes, I grew up there for a few years, and I fell into the creek. And normally, falling into a creek would not cause much panic, but not too long before that, my father was fishing in the creek, and he caught some freshwater eel, Right? And to a kid, eels are kind of terrifying because even though we they didn't know how to cook eel, but you know, they tried to chop it up and the individual segments would still be moving. And so that was like a horror show for a young boy at the time. And then we placed those pieces in the freezer. So we, yeah, okay, it was kind of traumatizing. So I associate first of all I associated the water with eel, right? But now the water uh, falling into the water became terrifying for me. So let's break it down. So the unconditioned stimulus is the eel. The eel was just something scary that naturally would cause me to have fear. The neutral stimulus is actually the creek. Because before that, I wasn't afraid of the creek. It was just something that was there, it was nice, okay? But the association of the creek with the eel, right so when uh so that association occurred uh, caused the fear so knowing that uh, those two were connected caused the fear an unconditioned response right so now the pond or the creek rather by itself produces the same conditioned response of the fear okay all right let me use another example from history and that might not have been the best example but let me go to John B. Watson, who was credited as being the founder of behaviorism, okay? he wanted to know if we can, in a laboratory setting, induce infants to become afraid of something they were, not, they were not afraid of before. And so he recruited many moms with infants and paid a dollar. And one of them happened to be Little Albert that's been filmed, and you can find it on YouTube. And so this is how the process worked. First, Watson and Rosalind Rayner, his assistant, would introduce different kinds of things, uh, and specifically furry animals. And these furry animals included dogs, rabbits, white mice, like laboratory mice. And none of these animals produced any kind of negative reaction in Albert. So these were all neutral stimuli, these animals. Now... The unconditioned stimulus here is something that always causes an unconditioned response of being startled or being afraid in young babies would be a loud noise. So he would hit a hammer against a steel rod and every time a young baby would be startled and start crying. Okay, it produces fear. Alright so that's our baseline. Now what would happen is while little Albert and the other infants were playing with a specific animal and he chose the white laboratory mouse. Then while the mouse is in the presence of little Albert, as an example, a loud noise would occur. So of course he would get startled and start crying. Over several pairings of playing with the mouse and a loud noise occurring, the association took place so that in the future, when introduced with a, light, with a white laboratory mouse, and there's no loud sound being produced the sight of the mouse by itself caused the conditioned response of fear and being startled being scared of it okay and in fact there are a couple of terms i want to introduce here one is stimulus generalization so in the case of little albert he not only became afraid of white laboratory mice through this process he became afraid of other furry items so in other words his association his conditioning has generalized from what originally caused the fear it's like someone you know who's afraid of dogs and originally maybe they were bit by a German Shepherd right which caused the fear during childhood and adulthood but then that person is afraid of most dogs right that would be an example of stimulus generalization okay now another term would be stimulus discrimination So in this case, this is if during classical conditioning, the person only has a response, conditioned response to that very specific stimulus. So for little Albert, for him to experience stimulus discrimination, he would only be afraid of the white laboratory rat, not other rats, not cats, not dogs, not other furry things. Okay, so that's the difference between stimulus discrimination and stimulus generalization. So especially for you pet owners, see if you can spot these in your pets, right? If you know that your pet cat or dog runs or freaks out when they see a bowl, is it stimulus generalization? Does that mean that you can present any bowl, hold it in the air and they'll think it's food? Or is it only their bowl, their specific bowl with the paw prints on it? Is that the one that your pet would respond to? And that would be stimulus discrimination, okay? All right, just a couple of notes to finish up here. Now, uh, this is like uh, celebrity psychology gossip. So John B. Watson was eventually fired from his job. Not, I, I recall reading that it was not because of his unethical uh, work with babies, but it was because he had, he was having an affair with his assistant, Rosalind Rayner. Right? <laughs> that apparently was more significant than actually traumatizing infants. And yes, by today's ethical practice that that kind of experiment would definitely not be conducted today so that that's that's the ethical conclusion of that and so during that time these things were allowed apparently at the time now so John B. Watson being a well-known psychologist eventually got career in marketing and advertising so a lot of the advertising techniques you see today involve a lot of psychology and you can see it readily Think of association. Whenever you watch a television ad or a print ad or internet YouTube commercial, what is the message being invoked? What kind of reaction or response are they trying to associate with this product? Is it high status? Is it happiness by using humor? Is it by using very sexy, attractive looking people? Okay. Um, So when you think of, or if you get tired of seeing advertisements that use sex to sell products, well, we can credit John B. Watson for that because he was the first to utilize these psychological techniques to advertise products. Whereas before that, advertising was pretty boring. It was just a a, a sign it says, "Hey, yeah, use me, ABC toothpaste." You know that kind of thing. It it wasn't until he came along that he associated using toothpaste with having whiter teeth, which meant being more attractive, which meant, uh, you know, being sexy. Or, you know, for that time, you know, sexy was different. But having of high status, okay. So all of these kinds of associations, positive associations, were created by uh, Watson at the time. Now you can think about other kinds of car commercials, right? I remember back in the day, Volvo commercials were trying to send the implicit message that if you were not, you were not driving your you know kids in the child seat in the back inside a Volvo or a particular brand of vehicle, then you're a bad parent, right? that to be a good parent, you must be uh, driving your kids in this car that's considered safer. Okay, so look for these associations in advertising, and I think you'll find it interesting. Okay, that's it uh, for this podcast. This is Dr. C, and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this podcast today. Can you do me a big favor um, just so that this podcast gets heard by more students of psychology and other people interested in the field? uh, Go to Apple Podcasts and put a little rating there if you like and uh, a brief uh, review. Okay. And you can also contact me directly using the links in the description, whether it's Twitter or email with any suggestions or feedback that you may have to make the show better And if there are any topics you want me to talk about, I can add them. And if you want to support me by buying me a coffee, the methods are listed in the description as well. Again, thanks and have a great day.